Wet we gardena in yardarn, theod kuninga thrumje frunon, who the ethelingas ellen fremedon. Wet, my friends, welcome to Standing on Points, the history and culture of punctuation. Wet, I greeted you with some old English, and not just any old English, this was the beginning of Beowulf, the famous Anglo-Saxon epic about the Hero Beowulf, who helped King Hrothgar get rid of the monster Grendel that came to haunt, haunt his halls. Lots of age. <laughs> Hrothgar's haunted halls. And Beowulf killed the monster in a wrestling match. And then later also killed Grendel's mum, who wasn't very happy that her son had been murdered. And later in his life he also killed a dragon huge dragon um, the beginning of the poem one can sort of uh, translate it as here here sort of we have heard tell of the glory of the spear danes of the king of that people in former times so it talks about it talks about a, a, a king a scandinavian king the poem is English, but is quite interested in Scandinavian history or what could be Scandinavian history, maybe mythical, maybe um, parts of them, parts of it. True. Um, so why am I why am I speaking about Beowulf? I love saying "huet." I do have to say it's so guttural and so strong, and we are going to come back to that that very word in a minute, "huet." But I'm also interested in. in um, the poem because in the original there's very very little punctuation there's basically no punctuation to speak of what we would think of it today there's no comma no exclamation mark no question mark no semicolon most of mostly those things haven't been invented yet when the poem was written down although there are some bigger words that to take out certain words, for example, "huet" is in, in in bigger letters because it's the beginning, right? It's been taken um, taken out, as it were. And there's spaces between the words, which makes reading really much much easier um, than in classical times, where there were no spaces between the words. The question is, if we wanted to publish the poem, print it today. And I don't want to say translate it from Old English to Modern English, but sort of, you know, offer it in an accessible way because, you know, it's, it's, it's just the later, Modern English is the later version of Old English, as it were. So can we even say translate? But let's say we want to publish the poem in Modern English. Do we put punctuation or, or do we just offer a naked poem, as it were? What if I... What if I say, what, with a few exclamation marks? What if I say, what, just with a comma, or with nothing at all? Those things make a difference. They make a big difference. And um, this episode is partly on the difference that, that punctuation makes in how we read them, and how we read it, and how we read the text with it. What is important because the word we're not really sure what it means and it has exercised scholarly <laughs> opinion um, and, and quite strong opinions for 150 years almost almost 200 years now what does what mean there are different kinds of um, translations or translations have been offered through the many years that the poem is now known and worked on for example, indeed, for example, lo, or here, Seamus Heaney, the famous Irish poet, uh, offered a beautiful translation, um, kind of 10, 12 years ago, just saying, so, <laughs> quite understated, so. Uh, one could perhaps say, oi, <laughs> and, and a very, very recent translation from, I think, twenty. 2021, even maybe this year or last year, uh, puts it quite contentiously and says, bro. And that's not just bro, it's like bro, exclamation mark. 
at the beginning says, Bro, tell me, we still know how to speak of kings. In the old days, everyone knew what men were, brave, bold, glory-bound. Only stories now, but I'll sound the Spiridane's song, hoarded for hungry times. So, a little bit of padding, um, a little bit of, of uh, making the... Uh, the beginning uh, bigger and and bolder <laughs> and two exclamation marks bro exclamation mark and then tell me we still know how to speak of kings exclamation mark quite strong when you read it um why is what important why is the punctuation that we choose for what important what whether we say bro, whether we say lo, whether we say here, so, oi, hello, listen. That's important because it establishes the entire poem of so many lines. It's a, it's a narrator, it's a speaker that looks back at a time, um, several times, and that also has other poets in their own poem, look back at other times and singing, reciting, showing an oral performance. Now the question is, was this really an oral performance? And the poem that we have now is just a um, a record of that oral performance? Or the person that wrote it down were kind of just giving us an illusion, a semblance of an oral performance through that word, what, that meant something Again, something like, hey, listen, or hear, hear. And you can imagine that it immediately evokes a kind of, maybe a hall itself, like Hroska's hall that the narrator is going to speak about. People people gathering around in a circle, the fire crackling, crackling, crackling. <laughs> um, and uh, a yellow, you know, yellow light and, and people listening and waiting. So Huet is doing a lot of things. The very first poem is uh, word of the poem is doing a lot of things in terms of, um, in terms of, kind of environment, mood, how we might want to read the poem, how the poem understands itself, and then it's not only Huet the word itself, but also the punctuation that we use now to um, to add or or not to add. There is an article by an Anglo-Saxon scholar, Eric Weiscott, called Making Beowulf Scream. And he is exploring how editors have influenced interpretations of the poem through adding certain kinds of punctuation at certain moments in the text. The text is quite clean of marks. Um, so editors or people who have published the poem have added punctuation in order to try and make help readers make sense. But that also means that there's a level of interpretation going on. And Weisgut sees a trend for an abundant use of exclamation marks during the 19th century when scholars were just discovering the poem and publishing the poem. And then he sees a quite a sharp decline in the later 20th century. So um, there was an influential edition of the poem in 1922 and Weiscott has counted 56 exclamation marks. That's quite a lot, quite a lot of shouting <laughs> or quite a lot of stressing going on. In 1998, there was another very influential edition which only had seven. So you have really a, a shrinking of, of well not exclamation as such, but what readers might read as exclamation or as as uh, emphasis through the punctuation mark um, that kind of disappeared. Weisgott cites um, a scholar who advocated for the cancelling of punctuation marks in the poem very early, uh, in just 1914, so at the beginning of the Second World War, First World War, and this scholar says, let's just do away with all of that stuff. No parentheses, no semicolons, no colons. All of this, and he calls it, all of those things are two fine distinctions. For a poem 
that doesn't have any of those things. And maybe the poem doesn't think in terms of fine and subtle pauses. As we know now, all those things, semicolon and, and brackets, they came with the, with the humanists in the 14th, 15th, 16th centuries who wanted more refined ways of pausing. But that's not really what the poem, the Anglo-Saxon poem from around the 10th century needs or does or wants to do or, or feels interested in. Um, so this scholar from 1914 says, and I'm going to quote this because I, th I think it's really funny. He says that he, in his edition, has done away with our modern meretricious marks of exclamation. If the reader's sense or emotions do not tell him where he ought to feel exclamatory, he must suffer the consequences. <laughs> so it's your own, you know, it's your own business. Uh, if you can't read the poem, if you don't have an inherent sense of the poem and when somebody is maybe um, saying something in a louder voice or with a lot of emotion, uh, that's your own, that's your own problem. Um, Weiscott himself, the author of this article, looking at exclamation marks in Beowulf editions, he's quite harsh on the poor old exclamation mark and he calls it screechy, frenetic, excitable, a purely theatrical flourish. And he ends his article um, with a side jab at the internet age, our age, and he says exclamation marks are typographical equivalent of junk food never appropriate always alluring and I found this quite interesting because junk food is is uh, you know kind of tasty <laughs> and fast and swift and uh, we kind of grab it but it's not necessarily very good for us in the long run so I thought, why not explore this kind of double-edged, ambivalent reputation of the exclamation mark. So this episode that you're listening to is dedicated to the admirable point, the screamer, the slammer, the dog's dick, the exclamation mark. All those are words that are knocking around for this piece of punctuation. We will um, explore in this episode why a punctuation, an exclamation mark is useful in a sentence and why it might not be useful. We will see where it came from, who invented it and who introduced it and used it hundreds of years ago. And maybe where we're going with it today. If you love it, if you hate it, the punctuation, the exclamation mark is here to stay. And I think it's very admirable. So let's, let's dive in. I started with a story. I started with Beowulf. And I kind of want to continue with the story. Um, to find out what an exclamation mark might be doing in our sentences. And this story is by Chekhov, the Russian writer. It's called The Exclamation Point, and it's from a collection from 1885. It's a quite a, a short story, and it's, it's, it's quite, quite funny and, and amusing. And it's typically Chekhov looking in a, with a bemused eye on um, the quirks of humanity. The main character is Pericladine, a minor clerk at a, an office, I think a civil service administrator. And his main task is to copy documents by hand and archive them. A little bit of a boring secretarial work. But he, he kind of likes it. He enjoys it. Um, one day there's a, a kind of reception... And uh, he discusses his work with other employees a little bit higher up the social and professional ladder. And Pericladine says a clerk like he doesn't need to have education because stuff like punctuation is no problem. He, you know, he doesn't need to know the, the rules. 
Uh, it's just something he has acquired by habit. And he says, you just put it in correctly. Nothing else that you need to know. Then someone, a younger uh, and more educated uh, employer or colleague, challenges him on that. And he says, well, this is not enough. You can't just put them put them in correctly. You need to know how to put them in consciously. And he says, if punctuation is a reflex, it's nothing but mechanical production. Periclidine is furious <laughs> because he feels that his work is being diminished or um, looked down on. And then he goes home and he just can't get it out of his head and he starts to dream about punctuation marks and there's this, you know, magical <laughs> description of the night sky and the, and the punctuation marks zoom by like burning meteors and, and as they travel past Periclidine's inner eye in his dream, he mentions all the rules for the comma and the full stop, how they apply... And then the exclamation mark's coming, but he just doesn't know how to use it. Whatever he does, he in his dream, he just can't remember. He doesn't know how to use the exclamation mark. So he shakes his wife, he wakes her up, and he asks her, what are the rules for the exclamation mark? And she says, you know, <laughs> very correctly, very spot on, it's used for appeals, it's used for exclamations. It's used for expressions of delight, indignation, joy, anger, and other feelings. That's strange for him. He goes like, feelings? In 40 years, he never had to encode feelings when he was copying his documents. He's like, what? Is there is there any need for feelings in documents? He asks himself. And then... Uh, he, he he's kind of speaking to himself saying even a man with no feelings can write out punctuation marks so he's okay he, he goes to sleep the next day at work he feels dreadful though because he still remembers the young man saying oh that's just like a machine you know what you do is like mechanical production and Periclidine just kind of talks himself into this frenzy about about punctuation that he rushes to his boss grabs a pen and paper and he writes his name with not only one not two but three exclamation marks behind it <laughs> and then the story finishes by by uh, telling us how the fiery exclamation mark was satisfied and vanished so he kind of put it to rest and um that's the that's the story. I I always still wonder a little bit about wh why <laughs> what what does the story mean? But um, I'm quite interested in the in the thought about mechanical production because 1885, automization, robotics maybe kind of came up and industrialization. But I'm also interested in the sense of encoding feeling in a text through exclamation marks. Um, so so it, the story also, I think, points to the kind of incompatibility, perhaps, with an exclamation mark and with feeling, with rationality, objectivity, um, because really Periclidean just like goes crazy about this mark and about not knowing how to use it or like having to use it and uh, and grappling with the task which is slightly boring and then the punctuation that brings in feeling so what i want to do in this in this episode is maybe try and recuperate the exclamation mark and explore how it's not just about feeling although there's nothing wrong with that i i don't think to put feeling into a text um, but I think there's more to the exclamation mark than maybe meets the eye. So I want to invite you to <laughs> to see how it can function differently. And then uh, maybe we should let bedevil it less. We will bedevil it less. So where does that actually 
come from. Like many other marks, the exclamation mark was invented during the time of the humanists. So scholars who were looking for what they thought were original versions of Latin writers, Cicero, Caesar, trying to find old manuscripts that they thought, you know, go back to really, really old times and not that, not this medieval Latin, this um, kind of Christianized version of Latin that they didn't like and that wasn't as stylish for them. So those were humanists and they were interested in style. They were interested in good writing and also in oratory. So in rhetorical writing that was effective, convincing, that had either if it was written it had an all quality to it or it was written to be actually performed in um, at the court at the court of a prince or in um, in law cases as as lots of lawyers were humanists or became humanists became lawyers so um, in the 14th century the Italian humanist Jacopo al Poleo da Orbisalia, I hope that was the right pronunciation, um, claims in his Ars Punctandi, so a treatise about punctuation, he claims to have invented the mark. He doesn't give it, but he says um, he, he came up with this new mark. And what he's saying is, is interesting to quote uh, originally. He says, seeing that the exclamatory or admirative clausuli sentences um, were otherwise accustomed to be enunciated in the same way as continuing or interrogative discourse I acquired the habit of pointing the end of such sentences by means of a clear punctus and a comma placed to the side above that same punctus I know that sounds a little bit um a little bit dense, but that's the translation of the Latin. So what it what he says is, well, we have different kinds of sentences. Some are questions, some are statements, some are exclamations or admirative sentences. So um, expressing some kind of wow, some kind of admiration. But we tend to pronounce them in the same way because we... Well, firstly, maybe we, we, we're not really good at the stylistic tone of the piece, but also we don't have anything to tell us, hey, this isn't actually a question or a statement, this is an exclamation. So we don't really have a traffic sign for our voice. So what he says is, I, um, or he marked the exclam exclamatory sentences with a dot and a comma or a kind of apostrophe little mark placed to the side above that. So at the beginning the the exclamation mark was a bit slanted but we have a dot and a, a vertical stroke above it. So he, he he describes at least how it looks like and we already get a sense that it's for rhetoric so it's for reading out it's for intonation, but it's also for grammar. And that is the interesting thing. It's, it's not just to tell you how to use your voice or to tell you what kind of tone is going on. Exclamatory clauses are actually grammatical clauses. So um, there is a, a foundation of the exclamation mark in you know, hardcore grammar. <laughs> The first person to actually translate that description into the sign that we are used to today was Coluccio Salutati, who also invented the brackets, by the way. And in the same piece of work, in his 1399 De Nobilitate Legum et Medicinae, that's just, um, as a parenthesis, that is a a treatise or a kind of reflection on how law is better than medicine. He also, uh, he invents the bracket and he invents, or he, he uses rather, the exclamation mark, the way it was described by 
al poleio. Um, the some some uh, some theories on how the exclamation mark looks like go back to the Latin word for hurrah, <laughs> which is io or io, io. And if you write a dot as a little circle at the bottom and then you place a vertical stroke above it, so, you know, the exclamation mark as it were, then it does look like an EO just written one on top of the other. So that is another, um, I don't know, maybe anecdotal <laughs> uh, tracing of where the, the sign came from, the way it looks like. So um, the from the from the description of by Apoleo to the actual use by Coluccio Salutati, the mark found its way into printing, and actually quite early in fourteen fifty seven, there's the first um, evidence of the mark being printed in Germany, and then it just spread across the entirety of uh, of Europe like it parentheses also did in the 1520s it had arrived in France and then in England too Ben Johnson the contemporary playwright to, to um, the contemporary of Shakespeare talks about the mark in his English grammar and um, is also found in Hamlet I, I had a little look whether it looks the same it looks like we we do it now from being a little bit slanted to the right, it's now become upright. It's in Hamlet. He says, for example, oh, villain, <laughs> exclamation mark. And um, around that time in the Renaissance and probably still in the 18th and maybe even early 19th century, the exclamation mark was used to signal something wonderful something you know extraordinary you know you, you you an exclamation because you're like wow that's also why ben johnson and and other um, you know people in the early days called the exclamation mark the admiration mark because it's a um it's a way to to capture wonderment as it were now we use it in broader ways, which is why people like the scholar Eric Weiscott are critical and say, well, that's really just a, um, a depletion of this original you know, ad admiration function. And now we, do, we just use it for, for any, old, um, any old pling <laughs> lifting itself off the page. Um... Richard Wagner, for example, said, I write music with an exclamation mark. So here we have the beginnings of thinking about the exclamation mark as signaling something big, a grand gesture. He writes music with an exclamation mark. A and he really does, right? Um, so uh, I guess in the kind of 19th century, there's a... A tendency for the exclamation mark to become perhaps um, more used for, for, for more things and perhaps a little bit theatrical. Some writers though are uh, suspicious <laughs> and still you know not, not, not um, entirely happy about using them. For example, Henry Miller wrote, I think Henry Miller was the the guy who wrote Erotica with Anaisna, right? He says, keep your exclamation marks under control. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's something um, to remember when you write Erotica, to at least keep that under control. Fitzgerald, Scott Fitzgerald, has a famous saying, and um, he says, using exclamation marks is like laughing at your own jokes so the exclamation mark for him was too too literary almost too self-conscious too much like okay here i'm doing 
literature. Here I'm writing a book rather than the other kinds of punctuation marks which are almost self-effacing, almost a catalyst, sort of transparent. They're there because they guide the eye and they tell us something about tone and feeling and grammar and syntax and so on. But the you must just think about the the exclamation mark, how it looks like. It really is there, right? It says, you know, I am here, I'm there. And that for Fitzgerald is too much. It should be less assuming, uh, somewhat unassuming. Terry Pratchett, as he does, makes fun of the poor exclamation mark. And he says, in one of the Discworld novels, I can't remember which, he says, um, using multiple exclamation marks is a sure sign of a diseased mind. <laughs> and one of the characters then reads something that I think a ghost has written and they say, um, but they have five exclamation marks here. Well, that is a sign of someone wearing his underpants on his head. So, um, bad press. Too many exclamation marks are bad press. And I was wondering and researching a little bit, is there actually a book, a novel that uses lots of punctuation, lots of exclamation marks? Because there are books um, that are kind of designed to think about the full stop. For example, Hemingway's style is all about the full stop. And then you have Renaissance writers using lots of brackets. And then you have Virginia Woolf and the semicolon. But then the exclamation mark, I really wasn't sure until I did find a perfect example. And that is Tom Wolfe's Bonfire of the Vanities from 1987. I haven't read it, but I read a little bit uh, around it and, and had a, a little look into it. So from what I believe it's about, it's a stock market trader who makes tons of money but whose lifestyle is also quite extravagant. And so he says he bleeds money in order to sustain it. So he needs to get more in order to spend more. This trader gets embroiled in a court case that's covered by uh, a headline-hungry journalist from Britain. And the whole, the whole story or the whole case, the background, is suffused with... New York in the 80s, so racial tension, greed culture, conspicuous consumption, you know, um, and uh, and in um, in 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 the book, apparently, there are two thousand three hundred and forty three exclamation marks, according to a trivia website. I haven't, I haven't. Um, counted them it might be a good exercise but I'm just going to trust this website so uh, uh, an incredible use of the of exclamation marks and so I was curious and I had a uh, I read a few pages and that's true so um, it's quite an oral style so you have the impression that somebody is talking to you there's a lot of dialogue so it makes sense that there should be exclamation marks but even the narrator uses lots of them so it feels it feels like a a constant kind of push 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 so i'm just going to read a few lines harlem rises up what a show not the hustlers and the operators and the players raise up but harlem raises rises up so you have four exclamation marks in these few lines or in these few words it's probably just maybe 25 words or so Harlem rises up what a show and that's the narrator that's not people talking to each other and, and, and that kind of that's reminiscent sort of of the tabloid style even that became more and more prominent I guess in the 80s and Tom Wolfe himself was a journalist before he was a, a novelist so you can really tell that that influenced the, the novel and the exclamation mark is really perfect for the kind of hurried you know busy intense 
flamboyant style of you know 80s hair and like shoulder pads and then more 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 money more 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 um, uh, color and, and patterns and so on so the exclamation mark actually really captures the tone of the decade and the tone of the novel Tom Wolfe himself uh, says people complain about my exclamation points but I honestly think that's the way people think I don't think people think in essays it's one exclamation point to another this really um, astonished me because he says well, that's the way people think people think in in big gestures and we don't you know, craft our sentences with the semicolon, the pause here with the pause there. It's just boom, boom, boom. Um, so there's something about this mark which to him captures um, something about our humanity, our cognition, even our internal, um, internal talk to ourselves. So as we have... Um, explored a little bit the exclamation mark is all about excitement but it's also more than excitement it tells us something about intonation it tells us something about grammar just as Alpuleo suggested when he invented it in order to mark an exclamatory sentence this actually I think also becomes clear when we look at the Spanish way of marking a question and an exclamation by using the upside down versions of those marks at the beginning of the sentence. And I think that came around in the 1750s when the Royal Spanish Academy adopted this way of marking a sentence, what kind of sentence we're dealing with at the beginning so the eye can get ready the mind can get ready and if we want to read it out or even read it in our mind with a with a voice in our mind we know that this is going to be a question we can get prepared as it were this is in no other language and and uh, i find that so fascinating that punctuation gives us a head start as it were into the meaning of what's coming other uses for the exclamation mark have actually blossomed, just like for the other for other punctuation marks. You have the exclamation mark in chess, signaling a good move or a bad move. You have the exclamation mark in maths to signal something I don't know what, <laughs> but it's being used as a symbol for something. You have it in coding. You have it in linguistics. This is uh, really exciting. Um, I'm trying to pronounce it. I'm going to try and pronounce the the click sound of the language. Um, closer, I think, is a group of languages in Southern Africa, so Namibia, South Africa, where the different kinds of language have different click sounds, as they are called in English. And they're written with the exclamation mark at the beginning. So the exclamation mark signals what's called an alveolar click. So that's when you put your tongue just behind your teeth, behind the ridge, and then you you make a you click, basically. like So there are different kinds of clicks. And in the International Phonetic Alphabet, you write them with an exclamation mark, which I think is a, is a great choice because it does have this kind of explosive right a of click of the click in the sign in the visual quality of the sign then there's a lot of um, use of the exclamation mark in pop culture for example brand names like yahoo are written with a exclamation mark or mamma mia the musical or pink rather than writing pink with an i she, she uses an exclamation mark so she uses the similarities and looks of I and the vertical stroke of the exclamation. Lots of band names with exclamation marks. Even a, ba <coughs> a band that um, has just three exclamation marks at its name. You don't really know <laughs> what their name actually is. So 
what they suggest is just to use any monosyllable that you want to use. Most of the time, people use chick, chick, chick. Then there's a very curious case of exclamation marks in place names. For example, the Canadian, the Quebec town of Saint-Louis-du-A-A. <laughs> in 2017, the Guinness uh, Book of Records has... Um, has uh, taken on Saint-Louis-du-A-A as town with the most exclamation marks in its name. Now, this is a little bit tricky to explain verbally, but you can go and look it up. So Saint-Louis with hyphens and then a hyphen du and then a hyphen a, so H-A exclamation mark, H-A exclamation mark. Kind of ha-ha, as it were. But in French, that would be a-a. So, people have been wondering why a-a and why exclamation mark a-a. So, of course, there is uh, the English word, I, I think it's called ha-ha, right? And a ha-ha or an a-a from French is a low wall in the landscape where you kind of have boundary, but you can still see above. So it's it's an obstacle, but it's not, it's an unexpected obstacle, but it's not something that you can get around. So a kind of a low wall. And now this town is, has been founded by missionaries in the 1860s. And the thinking is that canoeists that were coming um, uh, coming kind of upwards on the St. Louis River were paddling and then um, suddenly coming to a lake so they had to get out of the the river and take a detour in order to get back to the river because they didn't cross the lake or something like that so they reached an unexpected obstacle so that was the ah ah that they were that they're reaching or, or, or the sound that they were making <laughs> when they had to take their canoes out. I still have so many questions about this place name, though, because um, why a-a with uh, two exclamation marks? And why is the first a connected to Saint-Louis-du with a hyphen and then the next one isn't? So um, that is really just a beautiful little mystery, <laughs> I guess. Um, some other ways that exclamation marks without words stand in for something else is, for example, uh, perhaps a made-up anecdote of Vic Victor Hugo when he wrote Les Miserables and he asked his publisher, he wanted to ask, well, how are the sales of Les Miserables going? And he wired him, he telegraphed him just a question mark and then what he received was an exclamation mark so he was happy he realized okay that sales are going well um, another kind of use for just the mark to mean something else to mean stressing something to mean astonishment to mean admiration or emphasis is in comic books so sometimes you will have a character, especially in older comic books, really 1920s, you have a character with a bubble next to their head and there's actually no words in it but just an exclamation mark or just a question mark. So the question mark, of course, signals confusion and the exclamation mark is shorthand for <gasps> wow, astonishment, shock, something like that. I've also read that the exclamation mark was sometimes used a little bit uh, too much, as it were, because printers weren't sure whether a full stop would take ink and would, would then maybe get lost in the process of printing. When it, if there isn't enough ink on the full stop, then there might just no, be no punctuation at all at the end. Um, and sometimes that might be confused, could confuse readers. So they would put an exclamation mark to just make sure that there is a punctuation signaling the end of a sentence. So there's really, um, there's a reason for maybe uh, a kind of flooding of exclamation 
in comic books. Although, of course, they're also very expressive in and of themselves. Technology is much connected to punctuation, as we've been exploring in other episodes. And the same goes for exclamation. For example, there were no exclamation marks on typewriters until the 1970s. That is crazy. That's almost a hundred years of typewriters having been invented, having been around, really reaching into all areas of life, be it um, offices or at home, and you couldn't make an exclamation mark. So what people did was to put a full stop and then go back and then put a apostrophe. So just like Alpoleo de Orvisalia, you have a dot and a, a vertical stroke above it. And then it's kind of beautiful how how people just went back and, and took what they had and, and made do with that. However, I think it's also interesting because it shows that the typewriter, the inventors and the producers didn't think about exclamation marks that they would have to be useful, that they would have to be used at some point. Because in a way, it's a it's a machine, it's a thing that you use in an office primarily or for writing, maybe um, for accountants or for uh, other kind of business relationships where it's not really about um, exclaiming, right? So in a way, there was no need for that. However, perhaps because it wasn't on the typewriter and it was a bit of an effort to make them, maybe, you know, that technology actually prevented exclamation marks from being used. And now that we can make them so easily with just like pressing on a button, on a on a key or just like using our smartphone keyboard, maybe now that we can make them easily, we, we make them. Maybe people back in the days would have made them too. So perhaps it's unfair to say, oh, well, the internet age is just this frenzy and excitability and nervousness and everybody shouting so that's why people are using exclamation marks and that's a sign of our diseased minds <laughs> that we just have this this flooding and overwhelming amount of exclamation marks so things are a little bit more complicated I think and we need to look at the technologies of writing as well the spaces of writing what writing was supposed to be doing now we have a lot of social writing we write in order to connect and it's become so much easier so it kind of makes sense that we use exclamation marks there have been people who have said well if we look at exclamation marks in emails and online we see that women are using them more than men and so that means of course that women are more emotional but actually sociologists have had a good look at that and they found that exclamation marks in emails and in blogging and in tweeting and Facebook they rather spell friendliness not just on rather not emotion or exclaiming or like shouting at someone but for example hello exclamation mark or thank you exclamation mark that is an invitation that is kind of expresses some kind of warmth so and then it's true that women use uh, exclamation marks like that. It kind of opens and creates a space of equality even. So female CEOs, female bosses are more likely to use exclamation marks in their digital communication with their employees in order to make them feel comfortable. Um, interestingly, their is a tendency to use either one or three exclamation marks, but never two. Uh, it's kind of an unwritten rule. And if you go back at your email, look at your emails and look at your texts and have a look, do you ever use two exclamation marks? I think that's very rare and that's probably a mistake when you wanted to do just one or three. Two looks really weird. I don't know what it is, but there's something something too equal, too balanced. The exclamation mark, although as I've tried to claim, it does make sense to look at it from a grammatical, sober point of view, 
there is something queer even and something outrageous about the mark, something unbalanced. So have one, have three, but don't have two. <laughs> so I hope that this kind of whistle-stop tour through the history of the invention of the punctuation mark, its technology, its relationship to gender, its relationship to grammar and feeling and writing. I hope that um, that uh, goes to recuperating the mark somewhat. And I actually think we should be bolder in our use of this mark. It's a brave mark. It's, it's kind of unapologetic in its presence. It's here, you know, it's, it makes a claim, it makes a stake, it registers feeling, and it's okay that it registers feeling. It's kind of the textual version of the middle finger, visually, held up at decorum, held up at propriety, and really warring common. I hope you feel encouraged and strengthened now in using exclamation marks as many as possible, as often as possible. I was looking for a goodbye in the Anglo-Saxon way. I haven't found one yet. But Beowulf and on praise for the hero, and although I'm not going to read the end, um, it's a mouthful, the poem says that Beowulf was the kindest and gentlest king, the most gracious, most liked by people, most eager for fame. And I think I will wish you that now that your halls, your home, homely halls, will be full of the sounds of joy and laughter. I think that's an appropriately Anglo-Saxon um, goodbye. And I hope you... We'll tune in again soon.